Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. And glad that Alex is here. Alex, how are you? Good. Awesome, man. Good to uh, be on again. Uh, it seems like it's been a little bit since we've uh, been together, so it's always good to talk to you, even though we've only yeah. met each other once, which we can now say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. I still get people all the time send me emails. I can't believe you guys met for the first time in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. That's a good event. Absolutely. We just released... Um, our podcasts, we kind of stagger our podcasts out and we recorded a couple of them while we were there. Yeah. Uh, we just released a, one or two of them. We, we actually did one with Sean Terry, I think, as well. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, those of you that don't know, if you go to that episode, and I forget which episode it was, but Alex and I gave away, I'll find it here while I'm talking. Alex I'm and I looking. gave away our slides that we used in the present for our presentations at that event. And um, where was it? Yeah, episode 160. 160. There it is. 161. What? 160, I thought. Are you on your phone? But, no, I'm uh, looking at... Well, 160 was with us and Alec, uh, Sean Terry. It's when we were talking to Sean. Yeah. But episode 160 is where you can get our slides. So if you go to 160... Just go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, do a search for 160, and you'll see our podcast, and there's a button there where you can get our slides. And Alex went into a ton of depth and detail about how to do deals virtually, which is a really good presentation. And uh, I talked about how to flip lease options. It was a good event. But Alex, real quick, yeah. man, you got any deals you're working on right now that you want to talk about? Sure, sure. Actually, I uh, just wrapped up a deal with Sean Terry out in um, Phoenix there. I, I uh, was able to get my private money guy nice. uh, involved, and we uh, did a $4 million deal apartment complex. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wasn't involved on the uh, sale and the flip side, but I was involved on the uh, financing side. So nice. uh, it was a great deal for Sean Terry, and um, I believe Cody, uh, Corey Boatwright was working with him on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I heard about this deal. You did? Yeah, yeah, I think Sean is telling me about it. Yeah, and it uh, it turned out well. So um, anytime you have to float about $3 million out there, even though it's a one-day deal and it's uh, – you know, the buyer's money is already there. You still sweat a little bit, but uh, it worked out. <laughs> so this was transactional funding, right? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that is a lot of money to just float out there. So how long was it kind of out in the ether? Uh, it was out there, let's see, uh, oh, less than 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But. A sun did set in between that time, so. <laughs> did you get much sleep? <laughs> oh, I was good. I was good. I mean, you know, what the key with dealing with uh, doing deals like that is you work with good people, 
and you also make sure everything is legit. You know, you've got paperwork on both sides of the deal and a good title company and you're in touch with the title company and um, barring some massive fraud that blindsides you, there's really not no way you can lose. Yeah, yeah. So just so people understand what transactional funding is, can you describe that, Alex? Yes. So transactional funding is when you need uh, money for a day, essentially, in order to close a deal because title companies nowadays want you to have your own funds in order to fund both sides of the deal. So you have your A to B side and you have your B to C side. A to B is when you are buying from your seller. B to C is when you are selling to your buyer. And you need your A to B side in order, uh, you need your funds for your A to B side to um, completely fund your side so that you can then flip it to your end buyer. Yep. And... um Sometimes it just depends on the deal, right? Depends on if is is it a listed property? Are you selling it to an investor? Are you selling it to a retail buyer? And sometimes it's just depending on the title company how comfortable they feel with doing these kinds of deals. Because sometimes you can use the buyer's funds to close on the with the seller's deal, but sometimes you can't. So that's why transactional funding is important. And uh, anybody listening to this who doesn't have a transactional funding partner, um, you should find somebody that can fund these kinds of deals. And Alex, I don't know if you do that ever. If the deal's right, do you let? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How can yeah, people I get in touch with you if they? What's What's your cell phone number, Alex? If they want to ask you, <laughs> they could send a message. <laughs> okay. Through Facebook, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can uh, message me through uh, Facebook. Facebook's fine. Um, in my Wholesaling Houses full-time Facebook group, you can join there and then message me that way. Yeah, I that. would say those are the best ways or send a message uh, through the show. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I'll, I don't have a deal that big. Oh, by the way, uh, Sean told me what his wholesaling fee was on this uh, apartment complex. Are they... F- so they're flipping it. They're not buying it and doing anything with it, right? They're just quick flipping. Yeah, they did. it was just a straight flip wholesale. They made quite a bit of money on this deal. Yeah, we're not we're not going to no. disclose all the numbers on it, but yeah, they did very well. <laughs> very, very well. And I'm assuming you you and your private lender did pretty well on these transactional funding fees. We made we made some good money too on the on the on the transactional side. Yes. You know, this it's a it's a big deal, but you're just adding some zeros to it. You know, it's not. That's it. That's yeah. that's it. It's a forty thousand dollar deal. Just add a couple more zeros, and it works the same. Yep. The caliber of people you're dealing with might be a little bit different, <laughs> but it's the same. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, the only thing I'll tell you is we're working on a lease option deal right now. It's a nice home in a good suburban area of St. Louis. The seller. Um, has a little bit of motivation, not a ton, but they don't have enough equity. Well, even if they did, they don't want to share any of it with us. But they accepted our lease option offer. And um, we're just going to be flipping the lease option. And it's a nice house. Those of you who know St. Louis, it's in the Baldwin area. And in Baldwin, that's an area where you typically, um, we just lost our guests. I think they got annoyed for making them wait so long, Alex. We're here. No, they're oh, there. they're there. Good. 
I'm sorry I said that. No, I'm, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> but, but I'll shut up because um, the, where we are, we have some special guests on the show today, Alex. Uh, Jimmy and Bob from St. Louis. These guys are in my own backyard. And I, am a, I guess I am a hermit, Alex, because I just don't get out much. We, it took us six years to meet each other for the first time. And then see that. And, and then, then We're kind of new, though, too, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Well, these guys are crushing it right now in St. Louis. They're doing a lot of deals. And uh, enough about us, Alex. Jim Vreeland and Bob Scott, how are you guys? Great. Great. Happy to be here. Jimmy, you, you're, you prefer Jimmy over James, right, Jimmy? Yeah, James is only when I'm in trouble. Okay. <laughs> so um, how are you guys? Awesome. Thanks for uh, being on our podcast. We appreciate it. Um, Alex, you're going you're gonna to like what Jimmy and Bob have to say. I was talking to them the other day, and uh, they're doing a lot of really cool creative deals, and they kind of came out of nowhere um, just in the last year or two and uh, are just doing a bunch of deals. Um, Jimmy, Bob, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about how you guys met and what were you doing before you got into real estate? Um, before the way we met at a buddy of ours, uh, 30th birthday party, and we both had a common background. We both played, uh, football at a service academy. So we had plenty to talk about. We had both gone, we had both been overseas around the same time. And then we were both talking like, ah, hey, I invest in real estate. And Bob was like, yeah, I wholesale. So our first deal we did together was actually me giving him a private loan. And at the time, I was uh, working in a, a W-2 job in medical sales. Okay. And so we, um, we bought, about, we bought a, a four family together in South City on the State Streets and it didn't go so well, but we kept plugging along. And then we bought five more rentals. Still didn't go so long, but like I'm really stubborn, so I don't, I don't quit easily. And um, then we bought like five more, and still the same struggles. And then Bob went to a Ron Legrand uh, lease to own conference. He's like, "Dude, this is what we're gonna do." And we were we were sitting on my boat in the Mississippi wakeboarding, and we listed everything we hated about our fledgling business, and. Um, Least owned solved all those problems. I love it. Now, Bob, I've heard your name around town before. How long have you been doing deals? I've been doing deals probably for six, seven years. Yes. Uh, I, I did primarily wholesaling, a lot of stuff in South City um, when stuff was just insanely cheap. I mean, you could buy two, four, two families and four families for ten twenty thousand uh, dollars a few years ago yeah. Um, yeah and I was just just wholesaling turn and burn trying to do you know a handful of deals every month um, and then slowly transitioned into um, selling turnkey rentals to hedge funds and out-of-state investors uh, and started rehabbing but it was really small margin deals buying houses for Five thousand, ten thousand dollars up in in North County, and, and trying to put maybe five to ten repairs into them and sell for low thirties, and just do a volume game. But um, that's that's a tough business to be in. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, kind of fell backwards into having rentals. Met Jimmy, and uh, and we kind of took off from there. When did you guys meet? How long ago was this? Two years and some change. Yeah, two probably, probably two and a half years ago. Matt and and kind of jumped into business together probably about two years ago now. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. 
And um, Ron Legrand, you know, we've got him. Um, I've been going back and forth with his assistant, one of his three or four assistants. I don't know who. Uh, I, I'm, I'm working on getting him on the podcast, Alex. Get Ron Legrand on the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's a legend. He's an honorary guy. I almost said an honorary old guy, but I, <laughs> that wouldn't be nice. He's an honorary guy. And in fact, I'll see him next weekend. I'll be you mean in like Ohio. cranky on me, or yeah. what do you mean by? You mean oh, cranky? Yeah, cranky. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got that. Watch <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> him listen to this and not come onto your podcast now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, but I love Ron Legrand. I mean, the guy's a legend. He's been teaching the business for a super long time, and he's still doing deals today. And I'm actually going to be seeing him. I'll meet him for the first time in Ohio. I'm going to Cincinnati next weekend. Um, so cool. Uh, you guys were kind of done a lot of deals where you, you were probably doing tr- more traditional wholesaling, some buy and hold of rentals. And Ron Legrand starts talking about lease options. And what about lease options interested you guys? The primary thing was uh, one the, the the extra income upfront from the non-refundable option deposit, and for our price range of homes, we're, we're still pretty low. Most of the deals we're doing are uh, under hundred thousand dollar ARVs, um, so we get anywhere between three to five thousand dollars on a typical deal, and sometimes as much as eight to ten thousand dollars upfront. So uh, obviously, that's a nice extra payday. Um, that's a lot of skin in the game from our tenant buyers. Uh, it's a lot for them to walk away from and, and a big incentive for them to pay the rent every month. Yeah. And then the other big thing is uh, our tenant buyers are responsible for all their repairs and maintenance. So um, one, obviously, we're saving all that money from, you know, from a cash flow perspective. But then two, from a management perspective, we're saving a, a ton of time. Um, right now, uh, we just crossed over uh, 110 units, nice, and nice. If, if those were traditional rentals, we would be pulling our hair out. Um, mm-hmm. But now, all we really got to worry about is is making sure the rent comes in. Um, everything else, we don't have to deal with. I mean, you know, if you just just to just to coordinate sending a handyman out to a property and getting a bid and and making sure you know the tenants there and gonna let the guy in, that's that's just a huge pain that we don't want to deal with and don't have to anymore. So you guys are you have 110 doors right now, right? Yep. How many single family homes would that be? 110. Oh, okay. 109. We still have that one. Yeah, four we family. we got one four family. All the rest are single families. But nice. we found a least owned buyer for the four family. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So he's got an option to buy the whole thing, right? Yeah, he's got like a master lease option, um, and then uh, yeah, he subleases. He's getting to, to he's getting close to, to buying it. Awesome. So what's your ultimate goal with these? Now, um, these are lease options. You're buying these homes, right? So you own them? Correct. All right. And then you're selling them on lease options. So you're not doing a sandwich lease option. We've got a handful of sandwich lease options, a handful of subject twos, but most of our deals are we're buying cash and using private money uh, to, to close on the deal okay. and then hold them. Nice, nice. And what's your ultimate goal with these things? Is it just to um, you know, hold them as long as you can? Hopefully the tenant buyer buys it, but you're, you're, you're looking for cash flow on these deals. Exactly. Right? We're, we're strictly, yeah, we're primarily cash flow investors. Good, good. 
So if five sold through, I'm sure we would just take that money and buy five more. All right. And do you mind if I ask, like, how much cash flow do you get on average for each of these houses? On the Excel sheet or, like, really happens? <laughs> well, a, sheet, a, a spreadsheet <laughs> can tell you whatever you want it to tell you. Right. <laughs> and believe me, I know that from experience because I love spreadsheets. I'd say all right, I'd say all right, on the spreadsheet, it's like 250 but in reality, it's probably 150 Okay, yeah. And is that why, – why is the difference? I'm, I'm curious. Collection issues and, you know, we keep adding to our team. Our, our plan is to build a bigger team that we can continue to leverage to start new businesses or new revenue streams. Yeah. Yeah, and we've been investing heavily back into um, technology, resources, systems to continue to, to improve our economies of scale. So rolling a lot of money back into to the business. Yeah. Okay, good, good. The um, So even with a lease option, even though they're lease option tenants, they're tenant buyers, they're better than regular tenants, but you still have to manage these properties a little bit, right? You still have sometimes yep. when they're late or they don't pay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the advantage to lease options, would, wouldn't you say, um, you know, if they stop paying, uh, you just evict them. And that's not that difficult to do, is it? No, no, no. And Missouri's very uh, landlord friendly state, and and we get another auction deposit when we throw the house back on the market. I mean, we had one property we had to go through eviction on uh, in September, and uh, from the day we got the tenant out to when we had another non refundable auction deposit uh, was less than a week, and we had another four thousand dollars in hand. Nice. So you know, nice. those non refundable auction deposits help weather those storms uh, if if the tenant does have some issues. Uh, and the other nice thing is we we don't have to have the property in tip-top shape. Uh, we have our tenant buyers do some of the cosmetic repairs in the property, you know, the, the final uh, paint, you know, some some smaller carpentry items, nothing major, nothing that requires a, a permit uh, or any type of real expertise like electrical stuff. Um, but we can sell a property and not put as much money into it as a traditional landlord would. That's true. And I've done a lot of lease options as handyman specials where I got the tenant buyer. I, I, I think I was telling you guys this before. I don't remember. But I, I had one house in particular in Florissant. That's North County, north part of St. Louis, for those of you who don't know. And it was a just a – you know those condos that are out there. There's a ton of little townhomes, count condos. Yeah. And uh, one of them was completely gutted. Uh, I had no kitchen, no bathroom, no flooring. The walls were there, but that was about it. And I found an investor that just wanted to get rid of it. He had a private loan on it. It was no bu- uh, balloon. But uh, he owed about $23,000. And at the time, you could buy these things for $5,000. Wow. And they were worth maybe seventy-five to eighty, you know, fixed up. So it's, those kind of numbers are kind of the same today almost. But anyway, um, I couldn't bu- I couldn't make a cash offer because investors were buying these townhomes if they were at all even interested in these things. We're buying them for five thousand. This guy owed twenty, but fixed up they're worth eighty. So I gave him a contract to lease option his house for what his payments were for what he owed on it. So his payments were like two hundred a month, and he owed about twenty three thousand. And I turned around and advertised it as a handyman special lease option. 
and I got flooded with calls. And um, I, I'll set, I set the, uh, the option price. I didn't want to stay in the middle, but I just, I just basically sold my agreement to a tenant buyer, and I set up the contract where the new buyer had to fix it up, and they had to pass inspection. They had to meet all the codes. They had to pull all the permits. They had to use licensed, insured, and bonded uh, contractors, et cetera, et cetera. And I gave them a deadline. They had to do it in two months. They had to pay rent while they were fixing it up. And they had to fix it up before they moved in. And even with all those really, really strict requirements, I got tons of calls on it just because it was such a sweet deal for somebody who wants to live in that area and who can fix it up themselves. Um, and sure enough, we found somebody. I sold them my contract for thirty-five dollars or $4,000, about 3000 to $4,000. I just sold my contract and got out of the deal. And everybody wins, right? The, uh, the seller got somebody else to just take over his headache. Tenant buyer won because they're living in this house and only paying $200 a month. They fix it up. If they ever default, the seller gets the house back in better condition than it was when he bought it. That's why I love lease options, right? Because it just gives you so many different ways, creative ways. You so many options. Oh, yeah. That, uh, so how did you hold their feet to the fire to make sure they were using licensed contractors and they actually got the work done? Well, that's a good question because I didn't. Um, the Once I sold the contract, I, I was out of the deal. Okay. Um, all I know is that it was fixed and they moved in in a few months. So it was really, it, was, it became a contract between the tenant buyer and the seller, right? Okay. And then I was out of the deal. Now, how he so, did it, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that, um, you know, because in, in that area, you got to get an occupancy inspection, right? Yeah. And uh, a lot of times they'll look at the, that stuff to make sure there's whatever permits pulled. But who knows? We, we've also found with lease options that when it's the tenant buyer there for the inspection with the inspector, the inspector is a lot more agreeable. Oh, really? Easier to work with. That's a good that's a good tip. Where if they see us as these as investors, you know, they're going to grind us every way they could. That's a great tip. Hmm. I hope everybody listening wrote that down. All right, so um, you guys are both in the military. Thanks for your service. You're and, um, what uh, what did the military help you guys with that relates to business? You know, like uh, I've always admired and respected people who are in the military because uh, you know their sacrifices that they made, but they make great for the most part. Um, they make great business people, right? Because they're disciplined. And so many entrepreneurs are not. They're just lazy. Um, how, do, how did the military help you guys in your uh, business? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's extremely easy for us to come up with an idea and execute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hold each other's feet to the fire. Because there's a common language we have where I don't know if, Everybody who hasn't been overseas would relate to it, but it's not that hard of a stretch for us to create an idea on Friday and by Monday where we both trust each other to be to be executing and getting things done. Nice. I don't know if this is something that um, the the military particularly teaches, or maybe people who have the personality trait are, are you know pulled towards the military. But I just say 
having persistence and and not giving up at the first sign of of things not working out. Yeah. And I, I mean, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad in Afghanistan, and you know, he talks about what he learned in Vietnam, hmm. and so. And then part of it was learning about inflation and taxes, and at least it at least woke in my mind up to these things. Yeah. And, you know, when I had a corporate job, I was just like, I didn't like taking orders in the military. I didn't like taking orders in a job. And real estate is my way out. As soon as my passive income equals my expenses, I'm done. Nice. And I don't really need a lot of supervision or overwatch to, to accomplish things. Nice. That, that's a fantastic goal to have. How far away do you think at this pace, how far away do you think you are from meeting that goal? Well, I, I hit it last November and I quit my job. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, what, that's why you quit your job. Okay. Right. Awesome. So it's been almost a year. Yep. Best year of my life. <laughs> that is so cool. And Bob, how long ago did you quit your job? Or did you ever have? I've never had a job, Joe. Uh, <laughs> no, I uh, I quit in 2011. I was a, a civil engineer in the Air Force, so right. I, I brought a lot of uh, project management experience, construction experience to the table, and uh, and and just kind of at at that point, I didn't have any passive income. If there's anything I would have done a little bit differently, um, I might have had a few uh, rentals and a little money coming in uh, on the side before taking that leap, but. I, I'd done some flips on the side, some wholesales on the side while I was in the Air Force and, and knew it's what I wanted to do. And I, I said, okay, you know, my, my commitment's up. Let's, let's figure it out. Yeah. Very nice. One of the things, and Alex, feel free to jump in if you feel like I'm hogging the, uh, the interview here. Just feel free to ask. No. I'm listening and learning. Okay, cool, cool. Jimmy and Bob, what are... Um, some of your favorite ways right now to find deals? I kind of sit back and let Bob find deals. <laughs> uh, but believe it or not, we, we get a ton off the MLS. Uh, we're buying right now between probably five to eight houses every month. And I'd say 80% of those are straight off the MLS. Awesome. So I've awesome. got a few um, save, you know, search criterias. And first thing I do every morning is I go through the new properties that that hit my neighborhoods and price points that I like, and scroll through those and and shoot out a few offers, um, and we hope to get you know a couple accepted every week. Uh, and then I'd say the balance is is from wholesalers, um, and then we get a handful of deals that are, are just brought to us directly. We're not doing any marketing to um, uh, to any sellers. Uh, right now, but we do a ton to rent to own buyers, and through that, we get a lot of people who have houses uh, that that are you know going going the wrong direction, whether foreclosure or whatnot, and uh, and they want us to step in. So so just from that as a, as a side benefit, we get. get so deals. you're finding as when you're marketing for tenant buyers, you're finding these tenant buyers sometimes have homes that they need to sell. Yep, exactly. Interesting. So you're getting deals off the MLS. I mean, everybody says the MLS is dead. Yeah, that's why we get the deals. Nobody else is looking on there. (laughs) That's awesome. No, it's dead, Joe. These these are mainly lease options, right? Not just straight up wholesales. These are more on the creative side of things. No, they're buying them and then selling them on lease options. Okay, gotcha. Right. 
And we still, we, uh, the lease auction is our primary business. We still do some wholesaling. We wholesaled two this month and, uh, we've got a few, uh, rehab flips going on as well, but our core is buy and hold with lease option. So these deals on the MLS, are you, um, are you just like, when you see a house you like, you're, you're looking at all the new property that comes on. Do you ever make offers on old inventory? You know, inventory that's been on the, sitting there for 90 days. I do uh, when they've they've typically price dropped, yeah. um, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's just new stuff. And whenever price drops, it'll pop up as new or, or change in my search, so I'll, I'll see it. And uh, most of those are REOs, short sales. I would say probably seventy five percent are just REOs in the form of regular bank ones, and then Fannie Mae and, and HUD deals. And then um, you know maybe we get one or two short sales a month. On generally, what kind of discounts are you getting on these deals from the MLS? Um, based upon um, you know comps, a lot of the areas we're in are are still pretty highly distressed, but there's always you know a handful of decent comps, and I'd say we are probably around forty cents on the dollar. Wow, that's pretty good. And these will these properties, most of them will need work. Yes, yeah, yeah. The, what we look for is things that are functional, uh, but, but a bit dated. That's kind of our, our primary thing. Um, just, you know, stuff that's going to need a lot of work is one going to be a big time suck for us managing the contractors and the whole renovation process. Um, where if we can find, you know, your standard old lady house, grandma house, where it might not have been updated since 1985, but it's been meticulously maintained, um, we found oftentimes we can, we can get a lease option tenant buyer to take the house as is because, you know, everything works. Uh, all the systems are there. They're all functional. Um, it's pretty much moving ready. It just might not necessarily have been updated for, you know, 20, 30 years. Right. So you're just making offers. Do you, um, you close on them. The, your private lender is pretty protected. It sounds like with discounts like that, right? Yes, very protected from an equity standpoint and from a cash flow standpoint. Yeah, nice. You're marketing for tenant buyers. What are how are you doing that? What are some of the things that you find are working well for you there? Sure. Well, I, I'm sure you know, Joe. It's it's a huge demand for tenant buyers uh, yeah. for rent-owned properties, and that's one of the great things about lease options that we didn't mention earlier is you put yourself in uh, a great supply-demand. Um, situation because most investors don't market their property you know most most uh, real estate agents are don't do creative deals like that and most home sellers you know want cash yeah. right away right yeah. we, we all want cash and we all want it today but uh, it, if you can offer your house on a lease option um, the demand is huge because I, I think I've heard estimates out there right now that of the total buyer pool, uh, only about 20% of those folks can qualify for a mortgage today. So um, when we're marketing a lease option, we're targeting that 80% and we pretty much have them all to ourselves. Um, so it's it's pretty easy to market. Um, our, our three uh, kind of core things we do are Craigslist. Um, we do a ton of Craigslist postings every day. It still works great. And uh, another one is we use a syndication site called VFlyer, mm -hmm. uh, which you post mm -hmm. your property once there and it shoots out mm -hmm. to 20, 30 other sites. And then um, for about the past seven months or so, we've been doing Facebook advertising and that's been working really well for us. We're getting um, probably about 20 leads a day for, for tenant buyers on Facebook. 
That's amazing. Facebook has worked really, really well for me in the past. Um, bandit signs work really well if you want to put them out there. We're, we're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who was doing it for you? Well, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm not doing them, but uh, like this house <laughs> in, in Baldwin that I was talking about in the suburbs, uh, we were getting very little traction on Craigslist. We couldn't put the house on Zillow because the, um, the homeowner already had their house there on Zillow or something. But we did like four or five signs, and my guy did it. And um, with just those signs, on one day we got about seven or eight calls, which is pretty good. And uh, the cool thing with, with Facebook that uh, is, is, is amazing is that it's not that expensive to do, and they're super easy to find. When we were and we tested a lot of Facebook ads, and this is something you guys should think about maybe doing. Um, do one of you guys have your license or not, or real estate? Real estate I'm, in the, I'm in the process of, of getting mine. I've been resistant against it, but we're buying so much that it's kind of silly uh, not to recapture those commissions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The so we were doing a bunch of these ads, and we tested pictures, tons of pictures, and we, we found the best one was a normal-looking blue-collar neighborhood house. And even the grass had a little bit of brown in the grass. And uh, it was a single-family ranch with a little one-car garage. It was a good-looking house, but it wasn't, like, really nice or fancy or anything like that. When we did really nice suburban homes, um, didn't get as many leads. When you used a simple like a North County home, if you're familiar with St. Louis, but just like a ranch with the one bedroom, the, even the grass had a little bit of brown in it. We got tons and tons of leads from that. And one of the things that we found, and I haven't done this as much as some other people that I know. Uh, I know a guy in, in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, who, who did this exclusively. Um, he would get a house under contract to lease option. He would advertise it. And his main goal, he would find a tenant buyer for that house, but his main goal was to get as many tenant buyers from his Facebook ads as possible because he would find the ones that had 10, 20, 30 grand to put down on a house. And then because he was the licensed agent, he would go then at that point and go out and find them a house. And it would be... Uh, so you would just call them and solicit to then um, be their real estate agent? Yeah, so he, everybody that when they go from the Facebook ad or the Craigslist ad or whatever would go to a website to fill out a form you know, to, to join our list or whatever. And one of the questions was, how much do you have to put down on a house? And he would call everyone that had at least 10 grand to put down. And I don't know, it was one out of every 20 or 30 that did. And he would find, he would get some more information, find out how quickly they're looking to move. And then he'd put his realtor hat on and then go out and find a house for them to lease option. And, um, he would, you know, put them in with his credit repair mortgage broker guy, and the mortgage <clears throat> broker guy would tell them, "Yes, yeah, they're they need to do this and this, and they're a year away from getting a mortgage if they do this stuff." Maybe, not making any promises. So then he would approach other listed houses on the MLS. Like what he would do, then he was he would send that tenant buyer with the twenty grand to put down. They would send him uh, twenty potential properties to look at and tell the guy, "Listen, just pick the top five that you like." And then we will make offers to the the agents of those listed properties. And so the the tenant buyer would would pick five ten that they liked. Then he would just call the listings agents of those properties and make an offer to lease purchase them. Would tell the agent and tell the to tell the seller that 
this this tenant buyer has already seen our mortgage broker and this is what they need to do this is a situation and he would contact he would send them the properties that were listed on craigslist for rent and for sale and uh, there's also a lot of properties you'd be surprised in the mls that are listed for lease options already and the commissions are negotiable and so a lot of times he would have to negotiate with the listing agent saying listen if we're going to do this I'm not going to take just the one percent or the one month's rent as a commission. I want he would negotiate his three percent up front, and then they would get their three percent at the back end. And you know, sometimes he'd get it, sometimes he wouldn't, but he would always try to get the three percent of the commission up front, three percent at the back end, and did really well. Three percent of the agreed upon lease owned sales price. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's and the, the seller would it. Would the seller, even if they were selling retail, would they accept a tenant buyer? Some of them would. Some of them wouldn't. Most of them wouldn't. So he would um, he, he would send them like an order of preference, an order of priority. First, all the properties that were already on the MLS for lease option. Then second, he would send them the rentals. Then third, he would send them the for sale, the ones regular for sale, right? So he'd find out from the buyer which areas they were interested in. He wouldn't drive around showing them all the homes. He didn't do any driving around showing homes. He would just send a bunch of them to the tenant buyer. The tenant buyer would pick some that they liked. Then he would call, make some phone calls. And inevitably, he would find them eventually. He'd find them a house from the MLS. Didn't have to do any marketing. Interesting concept. It's not going to work for everybody. Would he Um, ever buy the house from the seller and become the landlord, essentially take the position we're in on all our properties? No, no. He would. I've always thought about something like that because we would go after higher price point properties at that point if we had somewhat of a hedge to know that, hey, this person person could purchase this from us somewhat quickly. Yeah, that's a little risky, though. I used to do that back in 2005, 2006. Myself, I used to do that. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I did that to about eight or nine homes, and one of them worked, and the others did not. So, gotcha. yeah, it just it was not it was not worth it in my opinion. I I, I those they they all cash flowed, um, but the tenant buyer didn't buy them, and you know then the market crashed a couple years later, and so it wasn't my fault. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway. The, uh, it's something to think about, right? Especially if you've got your license and you've got a tenant buyer that has good money, but you don't have a house that they like, right? Um, why, why not find them one? Yeah, no, it's smart. I, I guarantee we've got people on our list right now that, that fit that exact, uh, that exact scenario. Now, you know, you kind of have to have your realtor's license to do that because that's brokering. But, you know, what this guy did, by the way, and I was telling you all of this stuff, it wasn't him that was doing it. He brought on a buyer's agent onto his team, and she was an employee to him, but she mm-hmm. had her license. So he, he did too. So he paid her. I don't think he was a broker. No, he wasn't a broker because he was with Remax. But this buyer's agent worked under him kind of as like his employee, but he paid her on commissions. And she would get 25% of the deal. He'd get 75% of whatever she brought in. But um, that's all she did all day. I mean, she would advertise these nice houses to get the tenant buyers, to get the people that had the money. 
and then would go out and find a house for them. And, and she did all the all the all the legwork, all the running around, and yeah. he just did the final negotiation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Jimmy and Bob, you were talking about Rently and showing houses. What what is Rently? I've heard about this. Yeah, so we just signed up this past week, uh, but it's it's basically an electronic lockbox, very similar to a Supra, uh, but you don't need to be an agent uh, to ha- to access the box. And they're primarily used for rental showings. So um, this uh, electronic combo lockbox goes on the property, and then uh, tenants can or potential tenants can sign up on their website or or download the app on their phone, and they've got to register with uh, a credit card. So you kind of have a built-in identification system on people who are going to be looking at your property. They charge them 99 cents, so it's a nominal fee. And then they can access as many properties as they want. Uh, But basically, they they, they click the app, say, hey, I want to view 123 Main Street, and uh, between 9 and 10, and then Rently shoots them a unique identification code and gives them a one-hour window to access the property and then they also have to be their their phone has to be in like proximity to the house geographically, so they can't give the code out to their friend or or send it to you know somebody for some other nefarious reasons. Um, so pretty much a way to to automate you know all our showing. So we got like twelve boxes the other day, and, and we're in the process of getting on all our properties now. Nice, Rently R E N T L Y. I just looked it up, Rently dot com. Um, I used to just let tenant buyers in when I was doing a ton of lease options. Uh, I would just put a lockbox on it, have them call me when they were at the house, give them the code, um, and then have them call me when they left. And I never had a problem except once um, they stole some of the towels (laughs) that were were, uh, be used for some light staging. They stole the towels. But, yeah, that's really cool. You know, I think... Even that, even just the losing the towels, um, you, if that happens once in a while, it's definitely worth the cost saving yourself or your staff time to go show all these homes, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically the staff. We, I mean, things. we do the, the same thing as, as you, Joe, where we just uh, have people call in and we give out the lockbox code. But with the amount of volume we're doing, um, we're getting probably 300, 400 calls a week. Oh, wow. Uh, and we've got a guy whose who's full-time job is, is answering the phone and giving out lockbox codes. So if we can you know, save all that energy and, and put him uh, onto doing some you know, higher dollar activities, that'd be, it's going to be a huge savings for us. So yeah, what kind of staff do you have right now helping you with all of this? So right now we have, um, I'd say, six folks. Uh, one guy is a field manager, project manager. Um, we've got um, three admin folks, just rent collection, paperwork, um, all that kind of stuff, bookkeeping, and then um, two guys who are on our um, kind of handle all the incoming calls and do all the uh, negotiations with our, our lease option tenant buyers. Very cool. Do you guys ever package deals as lease options and then turn around and sell them to other investors? We haven't, but we are looking at that. Um, we, we have ha- got a lot, a lot of interest lately from outside folks seeing what we're doing and, and seeing the price points in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, a little jealous and want to get in on the action. So yeah, we are thinking of offering that service. You could even um, double dip on these kinds of deals, couldn't you? Like, uh, you buy the deal, 
you put the tenant buyer in it and you collect their three to five grand for option deposit. Um, and then you turn around and you sell that deal or you just sell, um, you mark it up five, 10 grand and you sell the deal to another investor. And uh, so you make, you can profit twice from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yep. uh, exactly. We actually are in the process of doing a deal almost exactly like that, except we, we reversed it where we, we wholesale the property right off the bat to an investor uh, and um, made $10,000, and now we're going to place a lease option tenant buyer for them and, and make a little bit of a cut there. Okay, yeah, so you you have an agreement with him to keep some of the deposit money that the tenant buyer puts down or something like that? Yep. yep. Yeah, that's cool. Excellent. Why have you guys chosen to do lease options and not seller financing? Why don't you guys create a wraparound note or do seller financing? Why lease options? Uh, I think the primary reason is uh, one we we found we can get just as much down payment uh, yeah. on a lease option as we can on owner finance, and you know we we still get to maintain all the uh, the tax benefits and we, we don't take the the capital gain uh, hit for doing the uh, the land contract. So yeah. we prefer yeah. to, to just keep it that way. And cool. then the other the other the other thing is it's a lot quicker to get uh, get somebody out if things do go south on an eviction versus a foreclosure. Yeah, that's an important point. Real important point. So you guys have private money in place to get these deals. Do you mind if I ask who your private lender is? I'm just kidding. I was gonna <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna ask you uh, how do you find private lenders? Do you have several that you work with? Do you uh, um, have just one or two? What what are some of the tips or advice you can right, give to folks who want to find it? I'll let I'll let, uh, I'll let Jimmy handle that one. Jimmy's Jimmy's been blessed from birth with the gift of gab, and and it works well with chasing down private lenders. <laughs> like that's how we divide up um, kind of our duties around here. Bob's the acquisitions, and then I chase money all day. Okay. How do so, you how do you chase the money? I mean, it originally started. I was in medical sales, and it was basically starting like people I knew had some money laying around and I would just like have a sales call with them. And I was kind of slow and tedious. Um, but I don't know what you guys see. And like, Alex, how old are you? 35. Okay. So you could probably back me up on this. Like Bob's 33, I'm 37. And I think right now the way the market is, and I think our peer group who is ma- is making, ma- you know, good six figure money. Like they don't trust the market and they have no other, they have no idea how to start investing or where to invest it. So I kind of approach it two prong. I go after that 35 to 50 year old person. Really? 30? Yeah. Wow, man, we're in the 35 to 50 year old category now. Why not the 20 to 35? <laughs> Millennial, millennials don't save money, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Or you know what I mean? I, there's a plenty of like people making a ton of money in that demographic, <laughs> and they have no idea what to do with it, and they do not trust the market. That's right. And then we have wow. a couple of whale investors who are high net worth individual people that kind of knew our story and uh, trusted us and wanted to get involved. So it's just flapping your lips and networking, right? And then now Slapping we slap your our lips. Ron Legrand term right there. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah. And then uh, paid profession in America, flapping your lips. That's what he says. But if you record it on YouTube and then put it up there, like 
we've got investors just from YouTube, just from us popping off on Fridays and throwing it up on YouTube. Wow. Oh. So what are you saying on YouTube? Are you, because you can't solicit for money, right? But you're just talking about your deals or? We, we talk about how good life insurance is. We talk about how good real estate is. And we oh, talk about how right. horrible qualified plans are. That's right. We were going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and we're like, hey, dude, if you're 35 and hate your job, there's no chance that qualified plan is going to get you away from that job. You sent me a book on insurance. And yeah. I, becoming... started, I started reading it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't remember how far I got into it. Just maybe a chapter or two. Talk about this because this is really fascinating. Um, what does insurance have to do with private money and real estate? Insurance has everything to do with money. It has everything to do with banks. It has everything. Insurance pretty much runs the world, but no one will tell you that, especially okay. whole life insurance. So so when, when you go deposit money into a bank, Joe, what happens to that money? The bank takes it and reinvests it somewhere else. Or does and where do they invest it? They lend it to uh, for houses or I don't know. They Cars. lend it to real estate. They rent, lend it to people like us, right? Yeah. So why wouldn't, if you could, would you take out the middleman of the bank? Yeah. So essentially, if you get a whole life policy, you just need to look at, do a paradigm shift and look at it as a bank yourself. And the, most people don't think that they can take loans against their life insurance policy. Okay. So for whatever reason, however they wrote the tax code, I don't know why they did it this way, but if you put money into whole life policy, you can then borrow money out. And while your money's working in the real estate, it's still getting a dividend from the life insurance company of 5%. Now, see, now that's, inter that's interesting you bring that up, right? Because I have a whole life policy, right? Okay. Yeah. And there, I've heard things about that with borrowing against your policy, um, but so so let's say what uh, company is it with? Uh, it's with uh, Guardian. Okay, Guardian does this infinite banking. Yes, right. So let's say I, I my uh, cash policy, my cash value is starting to build up, right? Right. Um, I think it's probably starting to get close to forty thousand dollars now, maybe. Okay. And I've had it since I was. 24 <laughs> right you know so actually it could be more i don't know i'll have to check it, it jumps it jumps now as as time goes by and do you um, mind me asking how much you have in a bank what? what how much cash do you have in a bank if you don't mind me asking how much how cash much? do i have in the bank yeah well i'm not going to disclose that in front of the millions of people <laughs> trillions <laughs> Billions, let's, say, billions. let's just say for argument's sake, let's say you had 40 grand there. Okay, we can match the 40,000. Okay. What kind of return are you getting in the bank? Nothing. What are you getting your life insurance policy? I don't know. What does it average out to five or 6% maybe? Yeah. And so why do you keep money in the bank? Because uh, it's nice and it looks pretty there. And you have access to it, right? Absolutely. What if you had access to an investment vehicle that, just like a bank, you call and say, hey, I want my money back, and they give it to you? So how can I stuff money into the policy just randomly? Define do random. I have to get more and have higher premiums in order to do that? 
Yeah, you, you'd have to build out a policy to hold kind of whatever you think your yearly savings uh, amount is going to be. Um, but there is a lot of flexibility in these policies. And, and if for whatever reason you, you have a down year, um, I think the minimum is like 20% of the total maximum. So let's say, you know, you wanted to commit, uh, you know, $40,000 a year, you know, on the low end, you might have to actually, you know, do $5,000. Um, but the other cool thing is if you, if you have a low year and say, you know, you've committed to the $40,000 a year premium, but this year you can only do a minimum of five, um, you can retroactively up to five years put money back into any any shortage years. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility in these things. And then um, with the policy loan, you can take it within what, 72 hours of putting the money into the yeah, policy? Yeah, my first policy I funded and 72 hours later, I took the money back out and put it into a house. Okay, yeah. so now give me the benefits of doing that. So the, the biggest one is your money is working in, in two places at once. So you're basically leveraging your own cash. And real estate investors, we love leverage. But you're, you're earning your 5% inside the policy, whether the, there's a policy loan against it or not. So your, your $40,000 is earning at 5% inside the policy. And we take a policy loan. And now if we can arbitrage what we're paying our, our own private bank back, our own life insurance policy, at the rate we're borrowing, let's say we, we borrow from a policy at 5%, and now we can put that into a real estate investment and, and make 15, 20%. Now we're making money inside the policy and making money outside the policy. And the money that's inside the policy, that 5% is compounding tax-free. Um, and another kind of more advanced thing is, is if you can prove um, that you're, you're gonna pay a higher interest rate in the market, like we've got a, a local um, hard money lender who charges 18% uh, interest. And if I say, hey, this is the market option for me as a real estate investor is to pay 18% to this guy, I can um, justify paying 18% back to my own personal life insurance policy. So that money can be siphoned off basically as an expense to my business. So tax-free, I'm taking, you know, or I'm, I'm cutting off 15%, 18% off the deal and stuff it into my policy. So okay, so you're so you're charging yourself um, a bunch of interest, but putting it back into the policy, which would be paid out in dividends or in disbursements when you get older. Correct, correct, and and, and it's completely liquid in in the short run. Um, you, there's no requirements to borrow the money. You know, if you want to spend the money on a vacation, you can. Um, Jimmy put together a really cool analysis of how um, Harbaugh is being paid uh, this way. You want to talk yeah, about that? Yeah, so the coach in Michigan, I don't think you can really talk about it quick, but. Okay. Yeah, yeah please. Go yeah, ahead. Please. Um, you know what? Why don't why don't we have a uh, another um, episode where we talk exactly about how to deal structure within your life insurance policy? I would love to do it. You want to do so, part two? Sure. Okay. The main reason, I mean, so while I'm chasing money, I need people who have cash sitting around doing nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so the best target I found was these people who have cash value in their life insurance. Interesting. And, and so that we teamed up with some financial planners, and then every investor who invests with us, we basically make them get one of these policies. Okay. Because it offsets the ordinary interest I pay them, half of it's taxed. Because they're, they're high net worth people, right? Right. 
So if half of it's taxed and if we give them 8% and 4% is going to taxes, we're like, well, you can get that 4% back because the life insurance company will pay you a 5% dividend. Okay. Yeah, this is fascinating. Well, let's do this. Let's let's stop it here. We'll record to part two. Okay. And uh, Jimmy I and Bob. I love talking about this. Yeah, yeah, this is good stuff. We've never talked about it before. Um, I got some questions. Uh, Jimmy and Bob, what do you guys have a website people can go to to get more information? Maybe they want to invest with you guys, buy some of your deals. Yeah. Um, what, where can they go? Yeah, you can go to Joint Ops Properties. That's J-O-I-N-T-O-P-S Properties. And uh, Joint Ops Properties is a play on uh, Jimmy's Army background and, and my Air Force background. Um, you can also email us at jointopsproperties at gmail.com. Um, and then you can also go to autopilotassets.com where I'm holding a, a webinar that shows you how to structure some lease option deals. And then if you go to YouTube and just Google Joint Ops Properties, our station pops up. And if you want to see the actual numbers with the life insurance, the title of the video is um, Real Estate and Whole Life Insurance and the Great And One. Oh. All right. So I'm writing this down here. What was your autopilot thing website? Autopilotassets.com. Autopilotassets.com. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. We will uh, take a break here and finish with part two in just a minute.